Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the college football preseason preview part four. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. Today, we're going to talk some ACC, a.k.a. the Atlantic Clemson Conference. Uh, You ready to talk some ACC, Colin? Who's not ready to talk about the ACC Coastal? Probably the best division in all of Power Five, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really – this is one of the conferences where we won't have uh, – or I don't think we will. I know I won't have any futures to win the actual ACC. I mean, depending on where you look, Clemson is minus 500 to win their division, <laughs> minus 600, right. minus 500 right around there to win the conference. We will talk some odds on who will win the Coastal between – you know, depending on where you look, but it's right around Miami. It's a three-team race pretty much unless – you know, something shocking happens. But between Miami, Virginia, and Virginia Tech, we'll finish up with that. We'll talk some Heisman also, who we like for the Heisman, if anybody. But we'll say, you know, between those three teams, if we do like one of them and if we are either going to bet or would recommend betting one of them to win the Coastal to get to the ACC championship to presumably face Clemson. So we'll finish up with Clemson and the Atlantic. Uh, We'll talk win totals. We'll go through every team, offense, defense, talk some special teams, some scheduling spots. You know the deal. Uh, So let's get right into it with the ACC Coastal with Duke. Uh, You know, the big news with Duke in the offseason is Daniel Jones is gone. Obviously, he's now New York Giant. Good luck, Giants fans. But, you know, (laughs) Quentin Harris is a capable backup. I feel like he's being disrespected here uh, by a lot of people, but he was two and zero as a starter. He won at Northwestern, overcame that voodoo uh, after Jones got hurt in that game. Uh, they have some capable backs that are returning. Their offensive line is pretty experienced, but the receivers are a major question mark. Their defense has actually been pretty solid. And, you know, their, their secondary, I think has the potential to be really solid. They have some players on the D line. The question is, you know, can they get to the quarterback, especially after they lost two of their, Stud linebackers in Giles Harrison Humphreys. So the linebacker core will, I think, make or break this defense. You know, 
they start against Alabama. Uh, Alabama playing another brutal non-conference schedule. I see they're going to be they're catching. I think thirty-two and a half points in that game in Atlanta. I'm actually intrigued by Duke in that game. Kill me. And you know, one of the things that I've noticed from reading some preseason pieces is that Cutcliffe has been stressing conditioning. Like he said multiple times, this is going to be the most well-conditioned team he's ever had. We're running more than ever, so it could be an interesting bet in the second half, maybe the second half of the season, but maybe against Alabama. You know, Saban takes the put off the pedal but something to keep in mind their win total is five and a half over five and a half minus 120 you make it 5.3 what you're going to see is with the ACC a very difficult conference to bet win totals in because a lot of these teams are so close you're going to see you know a couple games where you'll be a double digit favorite and a double digit underdog and then a ton of coin flips so what I mm-hmm. did for most of these ACC teams is I came up with something called a touchdown plus record and what that is is that if you just take the games where they're either favored or an underdog of seven or more points. And then, you know, you leave the coin flip. So Duke in this would be a th- about, a th- they have a three and five record. If you assume they win all the games where they're touchdown plus favorite and lose all the games where they're a touchdown plus underdog. And then they have four coin flips over under five and a half. So, you know, you make it 5.3. I would tend to lean to the under here. I think it probably should be closer to five, especially juiced it over five and a half. But what are your thoughts on Duke? Well, first, I'm going to echo the sentiment about taking them against Alabama in week one, because I have the number, I think, it's like 29 and a half. So there's going to be Alabama inflation in the market. I think if you look at Alabama, not to go down an Alabama path, but if you go down their schedule, it looks like another repeat of last year where they're going to come out guns blazing in the first half, take their foot off the pedal in the second half. Uh, so that that's why I think a reason why we're going to play Duke, and that's what we're kind of the play is going to be on Alabama. So, you know, and if they're going to be well conditioned, they're going to play all four quarters and, and they're going to try to at least get enough points up to to cover the spread. Um, you know, I like Cutcliffe as a coach, uh, but, you know, with my number at 5.3 and the Vegas number at 5.5, there's one thing that people don't seem to realize is that this is not a team that more than likely needs six wins to make a bowl. They finished, I think, if not the top, but top three in the APR standings, which says if they can reach five wins, uh, not enough six win teams to make a bowl that, uh, you know, they'll take a five win team considering what their rankings are in APR. So what is the motivation in the last three games against Syracuse, Wake, Miami. I mean, let's say Wake is, I mean, Wake is November 23rd. They win that game. They get to five wins. If the kids have a bowl locked up, then I'm not sure what the motivation would be to get to six wins. So to me, I'm not playing over or under on the five and a half. I got it pegged pretty good at 5.3. You know, this is the year after Daniel Jones. We'll see how they play week one against Alabama, but I'm definitely looking at either a second half Duke or, or a play on the full game. It's ugly. Hold your nose. But uh, that's where we're at. Saban has been vulnerable, too, in those because he takes his foot off the gas. He's been vulnerable when, you know, Alabama's favored in that 30 to 40 point range, especially mm-hmm. out of conference. We have, we're going to have to wait until, what, 2022 when Alabama goes to Texas to get one of these marquee Alabama non-conference games. I know they play USC next year, but USC is really down. Uh, but, yeah, I agree but, with you on Duke. It's probably a pass. Look, like we said, there's a lot of coin flips, especially in this ACC Coastal. All these teams are so similar where it'll come down to one or two of these coin flips during the season. So why lock up money, you know, taking a, a, a guess on one of these coin flip games when you can probably you can wait until that week and you can see, get a feel for these teams like Duke, how, what happens with their receiving core and their linebackers. It's going to dictate a lot of where this team goes and whether or not they get to six and seven or four and five wins. So let's mm-hmm. move on to UNC uh, staying in Carolinas and their win total also five and a half. You're going to see a lot of five and a half sixes in the ACC uh, as far as win totals are concerned, over five and a half plus 130, you make the win total 5.9. So you might be interested in UNC who has Mac Brown coming in 
It's his sec- second stint at UNC. He has new coordinators on both sides of the ball. So he brings in uh, Phil Longo uh, from Ole Miss to bring in the air raid. I'm sure you'll talk about that. On defense, he brings mm-hmm. in Jay Bateman from Army. He'll play an aggressive switching defense, but there is major questions at linebacker, especially in stopping the run. I mean, they were just horrible in that aspect last year. In regards to the offense, you know, it's it's going to come down to the quarterback. You know, you had Surratt was converted to linebacker. Nathan Elliott left to coach. It's a grad coach somewhere, Arkansas State maybe. So there's three freshmen competing. And it looks, I mean, I think that Sam Howell, who was a huge get for Mac Brown from Florida State, he's stolen from Florida State, uh, who we'll talk about later. But the quarterback play is going to determine a lot of where this team goes. And there's just, there's a ton of, you know, change. You have new head coach, new systems, new coordinators. You're going to have a new quarterback that's a freshman. So when I look at that, you know, I, I would tend to look at the under, but, you know, you make it 5-9, the over-under is 5.5. And, and think about this. The only FBS team besides Pitt that UNC has beat in the last two seasons is Old Dominion. Uh, and those two wins over Pitt came by three points each. But what are your thoughts on UNC? So I wanted to talk myself into an over when I looked at the fact that I had them at 5.9, which is over what the odds makers are putting it out there right now. So there's a couple notes that I, I started drilling in on them further, and I've completely made up my mind about the way that I want to go. So let's first talk about how the fact that week two against Miami is going to get like, I mean, I have only so many screens in my house when I'm watching football and, and, and Miami taking on North Carolina may get the audio treatment. That may be the one that I'm listening to because it's Mac Brown against his old defensive coordinator at, at Texas and Manny Diaz. Now, if anybody doesn't, you know, maybe I'm showing some age here, but nine years ago in week two, BYU blew out Texas and Mac Brown fired, <laughs> fired Manny Diaz after week two. I mean, we're talking like the second week of September, uh, Diaz was unemployed. There's no, I think, love loss between Manny Diaz and, and Mac Brown. And so I'm really interested to see what happens, uh, you know, after Miami, I think, has a bye week after playing uh, in week zero, uh, how they treat that North Carolina game. Because if they have a chance to run North Carolina up the flagpole, they're going to do it. So keep your eyes out for that. But other than that, North Carolina, they have an off- offensive returning production rank of 15, uh, 15th in 2018 with ISO PPP rating of 19th. And you have to listen to what Stuck said. You know, they're the quarterback. We don't know. They do have a couple of rushers back. They lose their top receiver. So, you know, Phil Longo comes in from Ole Miss. They were unbelievably fantastic. The Rebels last year were seventh in offensive ISO PPP. They were 10th in success rate. Uh, Ole Miss's offense was, I mean, Phil Longo did an amazing job down there. And he'll probably do the same with North Carolina. He just has to identify the players. And you're right about the quarterback, the one they got from Florida State. Um, you know, he's going to he's going to be something special, but it's going to take time to develop him. Army defensive coordinator Jay Bateman comes in. This is the thing that bothers me about Jay Bateman. Uh, people love Army. We love Army and we back Army. But this is the same Army team that gave up 34 points to Daniel Jones and Duke last year. Uh, they gave up 28 to Kyler Murray at OU, but we've talked about how there were only eight possessions in the game. Uh, gave up 30 points to Gus Ragland. So there's a theme here. The guys that can throw the ball really have been able to tear Army's defense apart. That includes 38 points to JT Baird, who had 30, 300 yards uh, two years ago, and 52 points to Mason Fine two years ago uh, when Army played North Texas. So let's look at the schedule. And this is what really made up my mind with North Carolina. They're going to start off by getting Jake Bentley, who you know has a ton of targets back at South Carolina. They get Zach Thomas and all of his targets back at Appalachian State. They get Trevor Lawrence in week five. We're going to get to Pitt, but Kenny Pickett now has Mark Whipple from UMass. That comes in November. So there's just a ton of spots for Jay Bateman and UNC uh, where they're going to go up against quarterbacks that are very efficient in throwing the ball and getting it downfield. And that's kind of been his weak spot. 
And you've already mentioned that, you know, they're kind of thin in the back seven as far as defending the pass. So as much as I have 5.9 versus the 5.5, it's either a no play or it's an under for me. I'm looking hard at the under. I mean, that touchdown plus record that I mentioned, one in four, if you assume they win the touchdown favorites and lose the touchdown plus underdog spots with seven games that are probably under a touchdown, only three of those seven at home. You know, can they go five and two in those to get to six wins? I would lean towards no, especially with all the changes. And I just don't know. I mean, their motto this year is don't blink. And that is because of, you know, Phil Longo and the air raid. They're going to go really fast on offense, but they're going to have a freshman quarterback. Uh, you know, they have really solid running backs. And so I don't know if that system necessarily fits. And what you mentioned with Bateman, to be fair, he didn't have the most talented corners in his time at Army, but he had really disciplined defenders. And, you know, usually a ton of upperclassmen mm-hmm. and a really disciplined defense that he was able to rely on. U- UNC was anything but that last year, especially against the run. So I just don't know... You know, Mac Brown's obviously going to bring in great recruiting classes. That's what he does. But I just don't know. And the, I think the coordinators were good hires, but I don't know if it's necessarily a good fit this year with all the changes. So I would lean under uh, with North Carolina. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's move on to Pitt. Uh, their win total is six, over six minus 120. You make it 6.8. Uh, I was surprised to see it that high. Pitt needs to replace 2,000-yard backs. Uh, they lost... Uh, Hall and Allison. You know, they also lost four offensive line starters. Uh, they have a new offensive coordinator in here, Mark Whipple from UMass, who I'm sure you'll talk about. They do have two electric receivers uh, in Mac and French, French with two Fs. He's a great return man as well. <laughs> uh, the one thing that I worry about, we talked about UNC, you know, losing a lot. Now, Kenny Pickett will be back at quarterback. Whipple, is, isn't he in complete contrast to Narduzzi who wants to run the ball? You've heard talk of Aaron Narduzzi who said, no, look, we're still going to run it. You know, this is a top 20 rush team pit. In 2018, 2,000-yard backs, UMass was a top-20 passing team. So is there a contrast there? All the offensive line questions. The defense should be solid up front. You know, Weaver up front is ridiculous. And their secondary, you know, has potential. There are some gaps at linebacker, which is a theme in the ACC, but it did improve a lot, their defense, towards the end of last year. Uh, And then the one other thing I'll say about Pitt is they do have solid, solid special teams. We'll get to Q's, who probably has the best special teams in off-college football. But Keston's back at kicker. I mentioned French returning. Uh, their touchdown plus record, 2-2, two and two, with basically eight games under a, a touchdown. So can they go 4-4 four and four in those games? Can they go 5-3 and three in those games to get the seven wins? Uh, I think this is probably a six-win team. Uh, I won't be betting the win total. What are your thoughts uh, on Pitt, who opens up with a home coin flip game versus Virginia, which will go a long way in determining where this team goes and the win total? Yeah, a very long way. It's a huge game to start off the season. But yeah, you're right. Pitt hires Mark Whipple. Uh, he comes out of UMass. And for those of you not familiar with the UMass Minutemen, they've been a uh, podcast favorite for us for the last couple of years because they have explosive offenses. They've been 23rd in ISO PPP the last two years uh, while Mark Whipple has been at the helm. Uh, and that is in stark contrast to what Pitt does because Pitt was one of the more fantastic teams at running the ball last year. They were 11th in rushing S&P Plus. They were 11th in uh, explosiveness at running the ball. Uh, passing, a little bit of a different story. 116th in sack rate, 116th in efficiency. It's, just, it's not pretty whatsoever, but Mark Whipple is going to come in and try to change that. I am nervous about losing four offensive linemen. Uh, you know, there's not much experience going on. I think there's only four starts. Uh, um, there's a transfer coming in. There's, I mean, the offensive line is just going to be patchwork, and that's not good starting off the season against a Virginia team that is just dominant in the in the back seven. And, and uh, I think their defensive line uh, got a little bit softer over the offseason, but uh, you know, there ha- Virginia is completely a-, a havoc 
have a team. That's all they depend on is getting the ball to be turned over. So that could be tough for Kenny Pickett uh, and the pit offense to start off. But for the remainder of the season, I like having Mark Whipple in as the offensive coordinator, especially if Narduzzi's like, hey, it's all yours. I'm a defensive coordinator guy. That's what I was at Michigan State. That's what I want to focus on. I can't have my fingers in, you know, in the offensive side of the ball. I think there's things about the schedule that I really like. So uh, starting October 5th, now, now September is, uh, here we go again with Central Florida. It just amazes me. We talked about Stanford, about how they have to fly out to Florida in the middle of a Pac-12 game. Well, here's Central Florida gets to play Pitt the week after Pitt plays Penn State. So it's another case of Central Florida benefiting from a team that doesn't care about playing them because Pitt highly cares about going to Penn State in that rivalry game. So they're probably going to take a loss at Central Florida. You know, Your Central Florida hate, by the way, is boiling on all this stuff. I mean, this is going to get bad here. We're going to need some Orlando callers in here. You know what? You guys call in because I'm tired of your crap. I mean, I'm tired of this. Like, they have the their highest strength of schedule they've ever had. It's going to be this year. They play Stanford. They play Pitt. They're going to get victories of both those spots. Why? Because Stanford's in a Pac-12 sandwich. Pitt's going to come straight off of, of Penn State, uh, a brawl with Penn State, and they're not going to care. So here we go again with Central Florida uh, getting some scheduling breaks. And who knows? Maybe a hurricane will roll through and take a game off their schedule again, and they'll be undefeated, and we'll have to listen to it. I'm Story for the group of five. We'll, we'll get there. But there are good things about this pit schedule as far as what's going to happen from October 5th on. So from October 5th on, that signifies seven straight ACC games. In that time, Pittsburgh's going to have two bye weeks, and they're going to be on extra rest when they, uh, a couple days extra rest when they take on Miami and Virginia Tech. So the schedule is very conducive for them to do some damage, at least from an extra rest standpoint getting schemes down, getting guys healthy from October 5th on where they have seven straight games. The Virginia game is a complete toss-up there at the beginning. So I like Whippelin as the coach. Um, you know, they I mean, Pitt struggled. The last three games last year, they scored 26 points total against Miami, Clemson, and Stanford. That's just not going to get it done. So I do like Whipple coming in. It's going to be interesting to see if they can protect Pickett. Uh, Narduzzi can focus on the defense. But to me, they're easily, you know, they're going to be ready for ACC play. And I think they could be a contender in the Coastal. The problem for me is that Virginia home game to start off the year is so big. And with Whipple coming in and their personnel, I assume they're going to be, despite what Narduzzi says, a pass-heavy team. Um, there's questions with the rushing attack, but that's bad against Virginia. Virginia mm-hmm. has an excellent secondary, so let's transition over. Actually, before we get to Virginia, Pitt was catching 28 in the ACC championship game last year. If I gave you right now, I said Clemson minus 24 in the ACC championship game. You don't know who they're going to play. Are you taking Clemson or the dog? That's tough because I'm looking at my power ratings right now and and the top three teams under them are 21 points. So I would have to take the other team. I would take, if you give me 24 and a half, I'd definitely take the other team. I've got Miami and Virginia within that number. So yeah, obviously I'll have to go with that. Um, all right, let's move on to Virginia. Win total eight over eight plus 120. You make it 8.1. Seems pretty spot on. I would agree. Uh, Bryce Perkins is back at quarterback, but they did lose a thousand yard rusher. They did lose their top receiver. Uh, they do have three starters back on the offensive line. The rushing game is a huge question mark. Can Perkins stay healthy? He runs a lot, man. I mean, he's going to take hits. Uh, the defense, it's going to be solid. Uh, you know, they have eight starters back. They did lose uh, Chris Peace in the middle at linebacker, but they still have some talent there at that position. Their secondary should be excellent. Bryce Hall is one of the best corners in the game. Uh, they did have major red zone problems on offense and defense. Uh, I trust the defense to correct that more so than the offense. Can this team beat Valtech? I mean, the last time they beat him was in 2003. Uh, they even you know, found a way to lose last year. Uh, I think the win total might come down to that finale against Valtech. 
their touchdown plus record six and two. So they have about six easy wins uh, on the schedule on paper with four true coin flips in total of eight. Uh, you make it 8.1. I make it right around there as well. So win total looks about right. What are your thoughts on the Cavaliers? Yeah, same thing with the, I mean, it's the pit game for me. I mean, we've talked about this before. Instead of taking a season-long prop, if you like Virginia to go over that eight, you might as well take them against Pitt. If you like them to go under, you might as well take Pitt. So, uh, so that is a coin flip game, but there are a couple coin flip games. Potentially Virginia Tech, but like you mentioned, they haven't won that game since 2003. Maybe this is the year they break through with maybe, you know, it is Bud Foster's last game, uh, regular season game. And if Virginia Tech is not bowl eligible, that could be a bad spot to walk into. Um you know, Virginia's 35th in returning production, um, and they were 21st in overall success rate last year. The defense is fantastic. They're overshadowed by Perkins, in my opinion. Bryce Perkins gets a ton of a pub, and, and he should, uh, but that defense is amazing. They're, they had a havoc rate of 16th in the linebacker unit. They had a havoc rate of second in the nation in the secondary. So good luck throwing against these guys. Uh, good luck trying to get anything from, you know, five yards out in the passing game against them. So they'll just eat you up alive uh, with anything they can as far as pass blocks and uh, sacks and, and INTs and everything. So price, you know, Bryce Harkins continues to go. Uh, he's top 20 in standard downs efficiency. They can move the chains like there's no tomorrow. They were top 10 in the third down success rate. So whatever problems there were on defense, uh, you know, Bryce Perkins was chewing up clock and making you know, the chains move and, 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 and controlling the game. Bronco Mendenhall was controlling the game because of what Bryce Perkins can do. I believe they had an adjusted pace last year of one of the slowest in the nation, yeah, 125th. So, yeah, I think it's just going to be more of the same. The schedule is is nice in the fact that it doesn't include Clemson, and the Cavaliers play just one home game between September 22nd and November 8th. So what that means is, uh, you know, they have more home games at the beginning of the season. They have more home games after November 8th. That's a good thing. But there is a really long stretch where they play just one home game over a span of September 22nd to November 8th. So that's definitely something to watch for. You know, we'll see how it goes. As far as the win total, no play there. Uh, I think they deservedly have the correct odds to win the Coastal. Uh, but this team is definitely, I like them more than I like Miami to represent the Coastal uh, in the ACC championship game. I can't say that. All right, we'll get to Miami next. One thing I will say about Virginia you know, I mean, they, they, need, they need to get better and more efficient in the red zone. I mean, that was a huge issue for them last year. And now they lose their top receiver. So, you know, they were moving the ball, but can they actually convert threes into sevens this year? That'll go a long way into deciding those coin flip games. You know, against Florida State, who there's a lot of unknowns about, against, a, you know, a Georgia Tech, who they should win, but there's a lot of unknowns there. And then Virginia Tech, and they get over the hump. Uh, there's some potential sleepy spots in the first month. So they go to Pitt, then they come home for William & Mary who's dreadful, but it's, you know, a bunch of Virginia kids. <laughs> it's the ex-Virginia coach who got fired there, London. He's the head coach at William & Mary, so I'm sure they'll be up for that game because then they go to Florida State, and then in between Florida State and a trip to Notre Dame, they got Old Dominion at home, and Old Dominion's coming off a bye. So there's some potential good fate spots at Virginia early. The schedule has Liberty sandwiched between Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech. That's a great spot, too. They do have a bye before Liberty. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. But yeah, we'll look at the Flames there. I'm sure Virginia will be prepping for Vatek to see if they can finally get over that hump, whatever they've lost, what, 17 in a row. We mentioned Vatek and Miami, two of the co-favorites, depending on where you look to win their division. But before we get to those two teams, let's talk about Georgia Tech, uh, which is probably the most fascinating team in the preseason because guess what there is no more triple option at georgia tech that's a crime jeff collins era begins they're going to run a modern pro style fast spread attack what georgia tech 
I, I have no idea how it's going to work. Do they have receivers? Do they have a tight end? Georgia Tech doesn't use a tight end. So uh, I have no idea how this is going to work in the first year. Their offensive line, it's going to be completely different. Their quarterback looks like it's going to be Lucas Johnson. There's questions about him, but I mean, he has the best arm. Uh, so I assume that he's going to get the starters. Their defense is also changing to a 4-2-5, but they lost seven starters. Their touchdown plus record is 1-8. and eight. They only have one you know, easy win on the schedule with three games under a touchdown. So can they win all four of those to get to 4-0, oh, assuming like, four wins, assuming no upsets? I don't know, man. There's a lot of questions here. The offensive line transition. They did get a tight end from UConn, Tyler Davis, who could be mm-hmm. pretty good. But this is the best rushing team in the country last year, and they have two. They have great running backs coming back, but now they're going to be a <laughs> pro-style, fast-spread uh, attack, which I think might be good in the future. But I don't know for this year. They do have great special teams. I'll give them that. But Georgia Tech here, I think that there's a lot that can go wrong. The schedule. I mean, I only see one win that I'm confident in saying Georgia Tech is going to win this game. Other than that, I mean. This is tough, and there's a lot that can go wrong. There's a lot of change. Uh, so I know you make the win total 3.9, and as we said before, you know, which is right around where it's at, over 3.5 minus 150. So, you know, and that, that one win that they have is at home against Citadel. They start at Clemson with all this new offense. I mean, that could get ugly. And then they have USF at home, and then the Citadel. Then they're at Temple. Uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on the Ramblin' Wreck? Yeah, I mean, they start with Clemson. They end with Georgia. We we are a pro Jeff Collins podcast. We always have yes. been. We like his capris, but this year, I mean, it's it's going to be tough. And and you know, he is more about establishing uh, a culture and an attitude uh, because everything schematically is completely changing. If you have read any of the stuff on the Action Network, there is a uh, video clip of him after the spring game coming in and saying that they completed a pass to the tight end, and it was <laughs> it's somewhere been like ten years since Georgia Tech has completed a pass to a tight end. So you mentioned Tyler Davis. He transfers in from UConn. He had 22 catches there last year. If you're a college fantasy football player, uh, you may be able to get Tyler Davis on the cheapest of all cheap, maybe the last round of your draft. And he's going to catch some balls at at Georgia Tech, which nobody uh, could believe happened with a a tight end. So uh, like I said, complete rebuild from from a schematic point of view everywhere. The Yellow Jackets are 119th in returning production to add on to the problem, uh, you know, with leading behind a decade long worth of uh, triple option with Paul Johnson. This isn't about competing for a division title. Uh, this is about recruiting. This is about a culture. This is about establishing football in downtown Atlanta. He wants to own the Atlanta metro area. He's passionate about this program, and, and that's a great thing. Uh, I, the Temple game is kind of hard to figure out because, yeah, Jeff Collins will be, you know, he'll be fired up for that Temple game because he came from Temple, but he cares about those players a lot. He allowed all of his assistants to stay at Temple so that they could go play in the Independence Bowl so that they could all coach under Foley with the, with the greatest motivational speak in uh, uh, Shreveport history. So he has a really strong relationship with the players themselves, but his players at Georgia Tech wouldn't care two seconds about what's going on with Temple. They would care more about North Carolina the following week on October 5th. So I'm not really sure what the advantage is there. It may be more uh, on the Temple side. So uh, they're going to be a week-to-week play and fade. I can't imagine playing on them. They will be a fade in certain spots. As much as I want to say the number at Clemson is going to get too high and it's going to be inflated, you look at the roster here uh, and the secondary takes hits. They lose their nickelback. He was the top tackler. They lose uh, Malik Rivera, the free safety. They lose one of their cornerbacks. Uh, it's just it's not going to be pretty. And Trevor's going to be on you know Heisman watch from the second he takes a snap. So 
you know, staring at that secondary that's missing, you know, a nickelback, a free safety in a corner is just going to be licking the chops. And I don't see them taking their foot off the pedal against Jeff Collins for any reason. It could be a welcoming from Dabo Sweeney to run up the score. You mentioned some other games. I'm most interested in that Citadel game. Week three, September 14th at home. Georgia Tech is going to be playing Citadel and only the team running the option in that game is going to be the Citadel who's running the triple option while Georgia Tech is trying to implement their pro spread. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> Citadel, as if some will remember, was tied at the half at Alabama. They do have their quarterback, Brandon Rainey, who, who's he's coming back to lead the triple option. He, you know, became the starter late in the season and then their, you know, their rushing attack really just took off. So potentially interesting game there. You obviously know I'm always interested in the random FCS, FBS matchups, but enough talk about uh, Georgia Tech. Let's get on to two of the co-favorites in the conference, excuse me, in the division, along with Virginia. We'll start with Virginia Tech. Win total eight. Uh, Westgate over eight minus 150. Colin, you make this seven and a half. So I'm assuming you like the under. You know, there's a lot of questions about Vatech. There's a bunch of transfers in the offseason. That's becoming a narrative. Uh, they do have Ryan Willis coming back, but they lost Jackson to a transfer, their other quarterback. They have a deep receiving core, but there's questions at running back. Uh, there's questions on the offensive line, uh, you know, but they had terrible injury luck last year, which you would think has to improve this year. And I love their schedule. That touchdown plus record that I mentioned, they're nine and one. So they have nine games where they should be about a touchdown or more favorite uh, and only one where they will be a touchdown or more of an underdog with two you know, coin flip games. They are both on the road at Virginia, who they've owned, and then at Miami. Uh, so, you know, I actually would tend to, I think this is a nine win team. This is, you know, at the defense should, it was just, it was atrocious last year, but I don't think that continues this year. We mentioned it's Bud's last year in Blacksburg. I think you fade a lot of the narratives here and you're getting Vatech cheap with this schedule. There are still some questions, but I actually might look at the over. I think this team at least gets the nine wins, you know, and if they continue their domination over Virginia and if they can steal a game of Miami, you know, maybe this team gets to 11 wins. I don't think they have a shot against Clemson, but the schedule's favorable. What What are your thoughts on Vatech? You do make seven and a half. Yeah, I, I I get on the side of the over and taking them for the coastal, and then sometimes I look at some of these advanced stats, and I I think there's no way I can trust them with some of my money. So if we get into it, the Hokies are number one in defensive returning production, and the ACC schedule is extremely easy for them to navigate. As you mentioned, the road slate is a mixture of rebuilding teams, Boston College, Georgia Tech, and they get extra rest against Miami. Now Miami's not going to go undefeated uh, in conference play, so Virginia Tech could potentially go to Miami, lose the game. Make that their only loss, and Miami could lose two, and Virginia Tech is still the one representing the Coastal. But what pulls me back, I keep coming back to some of these splits that I see with Bud Foster's uh, defense. I mean, he does return everybody in every single unit, but he has got to trim his ISO PPP rank. His rank against explosive plays is atrocious. Last year, it was 125th, so I started doing some research. It's not a fluke. They were 122nd against explosive plays in 2017. They were 62nd against explosive plays in 2016. They were 114th in 2015. The efficiency has tailed off over the span of the last three years. And when your efficiency tails off and you can't get a three and out and you can't you know, get them to stop moving the chains, that's when your explosive plays open up. It's been a huge problem for them for years. I don't know 
if Bud Foster has just decided to say, I mean, there's rumors. There isn't anything solid that says that him and Justin Fuentes have had problems working together. He figured everything was fine because they cleared the air and everybody was coming back this year. But now with Bud Foster leaving, it's going to be a swan song this year. Maybe he can get that all taken care of. But maybe Justin Fuentes at the same time looks at what they've done against giving up, you know, 20, 30 yard plays and said, you know, we've got to make a change here. Bud, what do you think about moving into like an administrative role? So I'm not sure what the story is behind the, the retirement, but what I know is, is this team cannot stop people from making big plays. You look at the schedule. There's not a lot of big play teams on the schedule. Old Dominion, Furman, Boston College. Uh, nobody on this slate is going to be able to like just tear them up from an offensive standpoint. But it's hard for me to back Virginia Tech when I look at some of these defensive stats over the span of the last three years. Yeah, I mean, look, if you just assume that they lose at Miami, uh, Miami's coming off a bye, and they lose at Notre Dame. Right. So the at Boston College in week one is a huge game for their season. They took a lot from coming back against Virginia and then blowing out Marshall in the bowl. I mean, that was after a hard stretch. But just look at this schedule. After they go to BC, if they win that game, they have three home games with a bye in there against Old Dominion, Furman, and Duke. Then their next two home games are Rhode Island and North Carolina. And then, you know, assume they lose at Notre Dame, home against Wake. Then they're at Georgia Tech, but then they're home against Pitt, and then they're at Virginia, who they've dominated. So I can't see this team not winning at least eight games with that schedule. So if I can get eight, I mean, I think there's a good shot. I think this is a nine-win team. I think I'm fading the narratives with Votech. But you're right. There's questions about the defense. I just trust Foster's last season with all that returning production. They probably, you would think, have to have better injury luck than they did last year. I think Mm -hmm. I'm a buyer in Blacksburg. We did mention Miami. Let's close out the Coastal and talk about the Hurricanes. Their you know, win total is eight and a half, over eight and a half, minus 140 at Westgate. You make it eight flat. You know, it's the beginning of the Manny Diaz era's head coach. When, when I look at Miami, there's obviously quarterback questions, right? So you have Ohio State transfer, Tate Martell. You have Nikosi Perry back. You have a redshirt freshman, uh, Jaron Williams. So who's going to take over that quarterback position and how well can they play? I mean, that's going to dictate where Miami goes because they do have solid receivers. You know, Jeff Thomas ended up staying. They got Buffalo transfer uh, Osborne in, you know, Cagers back. So the receivers are solid. Um, But the offense is just going to all come down to the quarterback play because the defense should be excellent. They probably, they may have the best linebackers uh, in all Mm -hmm. of college football. Pinckney and Quarterman are studs. There are some questions in the secondary but Bubba Bolden transferred in from USC. He'll help the run defense against these like power teams. You know, when they played Wisconsin, that's a question because this team's going to live in the backfield and they are just going to get to the quarterback. They're going to lead the nation in tackles for loss again. But, you know, against these power rushing attacks, but there's not a lot of them on the schedule. You know, if I look at their touchdown plus record, just like Votech, nine and one. So they have nine games will be, I think, at least a touchdown favorite with two coin flips. And those two coin flips are at Florida State and home against Votech over under eight and a half. I would lean over if I had more confidence in the quarterback position. But what are your thoughts on Miami and specifically their new offensive coordinator, Dan Enos, who uh, you you have some, I'm sure you have some thoughts on from his time at Arkansas. I'm shocked that we, uh, over the span of the the Gin and Juice podcast and the Action Colleges podcast last year, we don't have enough audio to fill up an entire hour about me talking about Dan Enos. So Yeah, Miami is excellent uh, on defense, and it's good that they retain Manny Diaz after the whole, hey, I'm going to Temple, I'm going up to Philly, I'm going to be at Temple for a day. I think his Twitter had had more bio changes than I've had my entire uh, nine-year history in uh, Twitter. Uh, So there in 24 hours, Manny Diaz had (laughs) 
had a new bio, had a new avatar, had a new everything uh, twice within 48 hours. So, uh, but no, he's the head coach. His first act of business was to go get an offensive coordinator. He went and got Dan Enos from Alabama with the very famous where the fuck is Dan story that came out of Alabama where Nick Saban came to the office one day, was looking for his offensive coordinator, and Dan Enos just ghosted the office, was already down at Miami, cleaned out his office, was down at Miami, and already designing plays and working with Vanny Diaz. So gives you some insight about how things go around Alabama. Uh, he has his work cut out for him. Dan Enos has <laughs> Nicosi Perry who was one of the more frustrating freshmen to ever watch play quarterback and then Tate Martell at quarterback. So, uh, you know, Tate Martell, not exactly sure what we're going to get there. Like we don't know his ceiling, obviously wanted nothing to do with the competition with Justin Fields at Ohio state. We don't know if that's Ryan day, just telling Tate Martell, like, listen, you know, Justin Fields is automatically going to be the starter, but Martell didn't want to compete. He was out, went down to Miami, uh, but he's going to be behind either of these quarterbacks. They're going to be behind an offensive line that lost 75 career starts. Uh, that's going to be tough because Nikosi Perry is not the best at protecting the ball. Uh, and Tate Martell, who is looking good through a couple of days practice, Danny knows has been working with him on his footwork and shortening up his uh, his throwing mechanics a little bit. So I think from the early practice reports that come out there, and I know Tate Martell, if you're if you're betting on quarterbacks uh, who are going to start for the game, I know Tate Martell is taking off in the market. But uh, it looks like Enos is favoring Martell early in the action here. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But, you know, the Hurricanes, you know, the the defense is going to be good. But they're going to host contenders, Virginia and Virginia Tech and Hard Rock Stadium. That's a good thing. That's what happened two years ago when they hosted everybody that was tough in the ACC. They also hosted Notre Dame. Uh, that got them all the way to, I believe, an Orange Bowl. Uh, you know, I'm going to be in Vegas for week zero because uh, I've got Florida in my sights. I got to go in and get some business taken care of. But I'm also going to be there because I'm going to be heavy on the Gators. Mostly it's because Manny Diaz was the defensive coordinator at Mississippi State on two separate occasions under Dan Mullen. He left once, came back, uh, was there for another year took off. I think that's a major coaching advantage for Dan Mullen. He knows everything about Manny Diaz's system, everything that Manny Diaz wants to do. Uh, I think that's a major advantage for Florida. Under. <laughs> under, definitely in the first half. Yeah, considering the Florida loss, you know, four offensive linemen, definitely an under in the first half has got to be played there, but I like Florida full game. Uh, but talking about Dan Enos for a minute, I don't like this Miami offense, and the reason why I'm not going to take them to win the Coastal, and the reason why I'm going to continue to fade them is because I've never been a fan of him as an offensive coordinator. I'm not going to say it's a personal thing. I'll try to be as statistical based on this opinion as possible. But once he left Arkansas and he went to Michigan, Michigan's offensive stats didn't do anything any better while he was there. Then he went to Alabama, but he really wasn't in charge. I mean, Josh Gaddis was a part of the game plan. Mike Loxley was a part of the game plan. Uh, but this goes back to 2015. 2015, Dan Enos was the offensive coordinator at Arkansas under Brett Bielema. He had full reins for coaching, calling the plays, designing everything. And I go back to that Toledo game. And why is that Toledo game important? Because Dan Enos is originally from Central Michigan. Uh, he coached in the MAC forever. He knew all the Toledo, he knew all of the MAC teams front to back. Arkansas lost to Toledo 16 to 12 at home. We scored 12 points. The Razorbacks with offensive weapons, plenty of them in that year. We scored 12 points at home against a Toledo defense. Toledo defense. There's no such thing as a Toledo defense. Ever since then, I've followed Dan Enos in his career, and there's just not a lot of things I've seen in his offenses that make me want to get up out of my chair, open up my wallet, and throw some money down on an offense that he's coaching. So I'm not high on Miami to win the Coastal, and I'm definitely not buying any of their numbers to go over the total or to win the division. Well, look, here's the thing with Miami. Now, they do start – they're catching seven-ish uh, in that week zero opener against Florida on August 24th. That's in Orlando. If they win that game, this might sound crazy. Miami could go undefeated, and it – 
might not have anything to do with Miami. It has to do with their schedule. Stop me when you think they're going to lose if they beat Florida. Okay. At North Carolina, home against Bethune-Cookman, home against Central Michigan, by home against VaTech, home against Virginia, home against Georgia Tech, at Pitt. <laughs> and it's not even Halloween yet. At Florida State. That's Louis- where I stop you. All right. Then home against Louisville, home against FIU, although that's in Marlins Park, and then at Duke. But look, if they beat Florida, this schedule is, I mean, it is cake. I mean, just in September. In September, they have three games, North Carolina, Bethune-Cookman, and Central Michigan. And then they get two weeks to prepare for Tech at home. Uh, and then home against Virginia. And then home against Georgia Tech. So they beat Florida. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a really, really good chance that this team is, you know, 7-0 and headed into your weather game at Pitt. So I'm inclined to look at an over for Miami. It will come down to the quarterback play. And, and Danny knows, as we've said. But we'll, I'll save your Florida State thoughts. You think they're going to lose at Florida State? Let me say this before we get to Florida State. If Miami runs the table, one loss or no losses or whatever, if they get through this entire schedule with that kind of record, that's going to make me really happy as a gambler. Because if you can walk into that ACC championship game and I'm able to buy, I mean, this price of Clemson at minus 500, minus 700, something, if you can give me an ACC championship game price of minus 300 to minus 350, I'll slam it. So I hope Miami does that. All right. Um, that will wrap up the ACC Coastal. Now let's get to the Atlantic. Well, I did say I wanted to talk about Florida State, but we got to start with Clemson because we'll spend one minute on it. Look, they're minus 500, (laughs) minus 600 to win this division, minus 500 to win the ACC, depending on where you look. They're loaded. They're two touchdown plus favorites in every game. They're going to the playoffs. They're going to the ACC championship. Their their win total is 11 and a half. I don't want to bet the over. Kyle makes an 11.9, which is hilarious, but I think accurate. I mean, basically, are they going to trip up are they going to get upset once like you know what happens against Syracuse maybe they're still going to go to the AC championship still going to win it still going to go to the playoff but I I'm not investing over 11 and a half I think the total's about right we'll spend 30 seconds on Clemson any thoughts there yeah when you're three three touchdown favorites against everybody in conference that's how you get uh an 11.9 uh win total and expected to dominate every single game let me try to be picky in 30 seconds if you're going to attack Clemson it's going to be the linebacker core a smart team would attack them where their linebackers are. It's been, it's getting a little thin. They've lost some players. The recruiting talent isn't as good there. So screens and slants may be the way to attack them. Trevor Lawrence is going to win the Heisman. Well, we'll that's a teaser. We'll finish with the Heisman. That's all, that's all we'll say about Clemson. Let's move on to Syracuse. That, and we'll save Florida State for last. I think that's one of the teams that a lot of people are uh, really wondering about. There's a lot of questions there. Syracuse, you know, it's no more Dungy RIP. Tommy DeVito will take over as quarterback. He's more of a traditional quarterback. Uh, I like their running backs, Moniel's back, but they lost both their tackles. That's a big question. Their defense can be solid uh, as long as the linebackers can emerge. I mean, there's a lot of linebacker question marks in the ACC. Babers, I think, is starting to get depth in place. He's been there a few years. Uh, What I love about this team is their special teams. I think they have the best special teams in the nation. They did last year, and everyone is back. The Lou Groza Award kicker, their punting was – I mean, everything about the Syracuse special teams was great. Uh, there's you know one weakness at Clemson. There's special teams, but who they who cares? They don't kick field goals and they never punt. Syracuse though their win total is eight over eight plus one forty at Westgate. Their touchdown plus record three and two. So they have seven you know games which will be under a touchdown and four on the road at Maryland, at Duke, at Louisville, and then home against NC State, Pitt, BC, and Wake. You know all those potentially could go either way. I think eight's a tad high. Uh, where do you have it at? What are your thoughts on Cuse? I, I think eight's a tad high, too. I, I believe I have this uh, down at 7.3. So it's high at eight. It, it opened up at uh, five, I think, at FanDuel. So that number was off and got a lot of overaction for me. So while I would like 
Syracuse to get to six. I don't think there's any way that they can uh, at least surpass the eight that's currently out there. So an under would be the way to look here. But when you look at the advanced stats uh, with Tommy DeVito, I mean, a 50% completion rate through 87 attempts in 2018. He had an even worse sack rate of 11.2%. Could be first year, you know, could be first year. He was, I think, a freshman last year. So he doesn't know how to get rid of the ball, uh, taking too many sacks, has, you know, trying to make too many passes with a poor completion rate. You know, maybe he has it in him to be better. I mean, he wasn't the most highest rated recruited quarterback, but he is actually on this roster when it comes to Clayton Welch, Rex Culpepper, and David Summers. So Syracuse, they, they return every player from a special teams unit that ranks second in S&P+. But I think they take a step back here. Uh, their offensive returning production rank was uh, 90th. So I don't think they're going to be what we've seen from Dungy over the past couple of years. Uh, they're not going to be able to put up points as much. Uh, but you're right. I, they're, they're still building depth. They're still an upcoming program. I just nine is, is way too much. Would agree with you there. Another team that I think their win total is too high is NC State, over seven minus 150. I make it you know right around a seven flat, actually six, nine. Nice. Uh, but it's and you make it six point eight. So over mm-hmm. seven plus money. I mean, under seven plus money is really enticing to me. Uh, you know, you have they lost a ton. You know, Ryan Finley, senior quarterback, gone. Leading rusher, gone. 2,000-yard receivers, gone. And most importantly, you know, three of the best offensive linemen in the conference last year are gone. Also, they have two new co-offensive coordinators. Uh, so they're, and they're going to have a quarterback battle, three inexperienced guys. Their defense does bring a lot back, but there's just major questions about this offense. Their touchdown plus record, five and three. So they've, you know, I'm confident they're going to get five wins, confident they'll lose three games. Then they have four games that are under a touchdown. Can they go three and one in those games, assuming no upsets? I don't think so. I mean, the three of those are on the road at BC, at West Virginia, at Wake, and then home against UNC. So it's not brutal, but I think under seven at plus money holds value. What are your thoughts on the pack? Yeah, they've lost so much. I mean, this is a team, they're 129th in offensive returning production, and that's with the graduation of Ryan Finley. Finley was excellent passer. I mean, that was the window for NC State was the last two years to be able to be to able to contend and actually do some damage in the ACC. And that time has passed. I mean, you know, from the skill positions of the linemen, there just isn't much left for the Wolfpack from 2018, and they were 20th in success rate. So you can't look at last year's numbers because they don't have anything back. Like you mentioned, most of the schedule is, you know, within a touchdown, around a touchdown or less. You know, we got games at BC, at Wake Forest, and then the schedule concludes with Louisville, Georgia Tech, and North Carolina. So we're swimming in the the, the cellar of the of the ACC here and, and trying to come out with if NC State can rattle off a whole bunch of wins against teams that are either going up or down or making progress. We don't know what Georgia Tech is going to be in game 11. We don't know what North Carolina is going to be in game 12. Uh, you know, for that matter, Boston College is starts after this game. Boston College starts the, one of the toughest uh, end five games, I think, of all of FBS. So, uh, you know, Florida State and Syracuse, I think that's going to be tough for them to win. Uh, East Carolina is up and coming. I mean, I haven't made a bet on this yet, uh, but East Carolina's offense is going to be sneaky good. Their coach is from James Madison. They could get up, you know, they could come up and bite NC State. They'll be heavily fired up for NC State. NC State doesn't return much, so. Definitely upset alert there for me and, and one that I've got my eye on a week one. Yep, I think that uh, the under is a look there. Speaking of average teams, which we've talked a lot about in the ACC, Boston College, let's talk them. Their win total is six, over six minus 120 at Westgate, which seems spot on. Uh, you make it 6.1. They have won seven games in five of the past six years, but they're 38 and 38 in the Adazio era. And I think they're probably going to finish again with six wins this year. You know, A.J. Dillon, 
is the horse back at running back. The big question on the offense is how much can Anthony Brown improve a quarterback? And, you know, if, mm-hmm. if he can take a big step forward, I think their offense could be decent. You know, he has a, a new uh, offensive coordinator in there, the ex-quarterback coach of Jameis Winston. So how much can he help with Brown's development? They did lose all ACC tight end Tommy Sweeney, uh, and they only returned one offensive line starter. Uh, they had five returning starters last year. So that's big as well. They also have a new defensive coordinator who was the ex-linebacker coach, but the defense lost a ton. They also lost their, their nation's leading return man in special teams. So there's a lot of questions about this BC team outside of Dylan. I think the six is spot on. I think this team's probably going to a bowl. The last two games at Notre Dame, loss at Pitt, maybe, but probably a loss. You know, it's probably going to come down to those last two games. Yeah, if you shop around, I mean, there are there is a couple six and a halfs out there. Juice, it may be, but worth an investment. Uh, this the end of this schedule is brutal with Clemson, Syracuse, Florida State, Notre Dame, Pittsburgh. It, it's not easy, but I mean, up until then, they've got their chance to at least get to six wins. There's a lot of things about this team that I do not like whatsoever. Uh, even though you know they have their workhorse running back and and, and their quarterback is you know mobile, they're uh, they just weren't good at running the ball. I mean, they were 110th in rushing S and P plus. They were 102nd in stuff rate. They can't control the line of scrimmage. They're not efficient in moving the chains. They're really not that explosive either. They were 59th in rushing explosiveness, which you would think would be a little bit better with a running back like AJ Dillon or uh, you know with Anthony Brown probably you know averaging 5.9 yards per carry. So you know there's a lot of things about the offense that I'm just not comfortable with. They went to the hurry up no huddle. It didn't improve them whatsoever. Their success rate was still 110th last year. I mean, you can go hurry up, no huddle all you want, but uh, really all we see is, you know, passing out to the flats and, and, and passes that are like three yards long. Uh, that doesn't move the chains either. So, uh, you know, the defense was a positive aspect for the Eagles last season, but they have a returning production rank of 128. So you kind of wipe their stats off the board. You're getting a whole new set of defensive players. Um, if they do not get to six wins, I would say, you know, by the time they start that that, that second half of the season, it's not going to happen. So if you can shop around, you can find a six and a half. Uh, the under is the way to look. One thing that you mentioned was the offensive line play was disappointing last year, given they were returning everybody. They do have two promising transfers coming in who should they should be able to plug right in. So maybe the losses along the offensive line and with these transfers coming in is a plus. And if Anthony Brown can take a step forward at quarterback, that's the hope with BC. But I would I would tend to agree with you. Six is spot on. If you can find a six and a half, I would lean under as well. Um, all right, let's move on to Wake Forest. Uh, this win total is right at six again. Another six in the ACC. Colin, you make this 6.2. Before we move on with Wake, let's take a moment of silence uh, for Greg Dortch, who we will no longer talk about. And I think that we should, for the last time, play the Greg Dortch clip. Sad. The most electrifying player in college football. Guess who? Greg Dortch. Understand, Greg Dortch is the big play guy. Dortch beats the punter. Down the middle. It's Dortch, and he's gone. Touchdown. The magician has done it again. Greg Dorch is something else. Don't forget about Greg Dorch. Oh, Greg. So Greg Dorch, obviously one of the podcast's favorite players last year, one of Wake Forest's best offensive players and return man. He's gone along with Bachman, so the two best receivers are gone. This team's going to play fast, super fast. Uh, one of the fastest teams in the country last year. There is a quarterback battle. I don't know who is ahead right now between Newman and Hartman. So their play will determine a lot of where this offense goes as long as who emerges at wide receiver. I think six is just completely spot on. I mean, you make it 6.2. I make it actually six flat. And even if you look at the schedule and project the spreads, 
uh, two wins you can feel confident in, two losses that they're going to have. You know, they're at Clemson, at Vatech, probably going to lose. They're at Rice, who's just dreadful. They're home against Elon. And then they have eight games, which will probably be within a single-digit spread. Split them. Even if you wanted to do it that way, six wins. I mean, this is just looks like it's going to be a six-win team. Thoughts on Wake? Yeah, anything under would be a disappointment. Anything over would be a coach of the year candidate going on down there. So you're right about Wake Forest. The, the, the quarterback battle, you know, a year ago we were talking about Kendall Hinton and his suspension. We thought Kendall Hinton was going to be the guy at quarterback, and then it was Sam Hart and Jamie Newman the entire way, leaving Kendall Hinton to get eight attempts at throwing the ball. And I think that was when they just lined up in a funky formation. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of things about Wake Forest that, you know, running back, Cade Carney returns. The rushing attack was just 103rd in explosiveness last season. Uh, over half the games on the Demon Deacon schedule is projected to have a point spread within a touchdown. So there's just a lot of room for volatility here. I mean, there was, there was games last year where we would have coin flip scenarios in the point spread, uh, and then they would have a 21-point loss to Florida State. They'd beat Louisville by 21. They would lose to Pitt by 21. They beat Duke by 52. You have to realize that like all these games had really minimal point spreads. So if you're trying to cap Wake Forest, I mean, you'll tear your hair out trying to figure these guys out because there's just no rhythm. It's like when you're capping golf, you're trying to get a player's recent form and his course history and, and, and you know, how he does, uh, you know, with his strokes gain and all that and try to match it up like a puzzle piece. When you do that with Wake Forest and all their advanced stats, it doesn't mean anything when you're beating Duke by 52. It's up and down and up and down like a cryptocurrency. Yep, I would completely agree with you. I think it's stay away and like a lot of the teams in the ACC it's you know where we're going to find out a lot about them there'll be better spots in the year no need to tie up your money uh before we close out with Florida State and the quick Heisman talk and recap our favorite ACC win totals let's talk Louisville uh, a lot of change at Louisville as well uh just like North Carolina new head coach in there Scott Satterfield from App State uh there's a quarterback battle Malik Cunningham Jawan Pass you have a freshman Evan Conley in the mix look the win total is three and a half which I think is a sharp window. I was hoping for three and wanted to bet the over. Uh, you make it 3.4. Their offensive line was so bad. I mean, everything about this team was so bad in 2018. The books couldn't catch up. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, their offensive line was so bad. They allowed 43 sacks. That was the second highest in all of FBS. Oregon State allowed 48, just atrocious. Uh, they have a new defensive coordinator. It's their fourth in four years. Their defense was also atrocious. But they do bring everyone back. And then they add a, a Colgate transfer. Uh, you know, I love Colgate. TJ Hall is transferring into play linebacker. Could be their best player. And and they got rid of Brian Van Gorder, who's just a joke, a defensive yes. coordinator. So, but <laughs> yes. the thing is with this team is I think that they quit last year and it was evident in their games. They did just, they stopped trying. There were tons of penalties and just, there was just no effort. It was just an absolute dumpster fire. So I think the biggest improvement for Satterfield, which he's going to have right away, is just an attitude improvement and an effort level uh, bump. And, you know, this team is, you know, if you look at just, they're going to be a double-digit dog probably in probably six games, double-digit favorite and only one, and that's sec week two against Eastern Kentucky at home. So, you know, that and then that leaves about five games where there'll be a single-digit underdog or a single-digit favorite. So the schedule isn't easy, but I, and I think three-and-a-half is spot on. Again, like I said, I wanted to buy low in this team at three, which I was hoping for, mm-hmm. but I think this team is going to be a team to play on, especially early in the year week one against Notre Dame I think they're going to be a live dog I think the effort level the attitude the defense all coming back getting rid of Van Gorder the Colgate transfer I I think I'm going to be buying on this team early in the year but not necessarily in the win total which I think is spot on what are your thoughts on the bill you're gonna get the voicemails fired up already with all this Colgate talk and Colgate transfers but um no I mean so Louisville 
there in the software world in the software nerd world we call this a fit gap analysis and what that means is i have inherited an entire <laughs> you want to call it a problem you just want to call it a landscape or a culture and i've got to look at where my goals are i've got to see where the delta is do these players fit does this scheme fit can they grasp the 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 playbook that I want to get to, they got an A plus higher from, you know, getting Scott Satterfield. You, you know, UNC passing up North Carolina native Scott Satterfield from Appalachian State was was a mistake, in my opinion. And Louisville is the benefit of that. So, you know, he dominated the Sun Belt for years at Appalachian State. But to just accentuate about how bad these guys were. I mean, they were 1-11 against the spread last season, and they failed to cover the spread by an average of 18 points per game. That was Shocking. 10 points worse. 10 points worse than the next closest team. I mean, the, so... It, when I say fit gap analysis, do, do these players have skill or do they just not have effort? I mean, I mean, we're just in a, I mean, Satterfield's got to have a huge fact finding through this camp coming up here because we just don't know if it's talent based. We don't know if it's effort based. If it's a Petrino, I hate you, Bobby Petrino base, 128th in defensive success rate. The offense was 102nd in the same category. So uh, people ask me all the time. I get a lot of requests about how do you do your power ratings? How do you adjust your power ratings, especially in the off season? And one of those is power rating regression to the mean and what that means is is a program usually is steady around a certain mark uh they don't usually veer off too far they don't go too far up what goes up must come down. i wanted to take the case of notre dame a few years ago going four and eight just because they went four and eight doesn't mean that you start their you know the power rating off you know eight or ten points less than what it was the year before yeah well, you have one off anomalies but generally has... you'll be back at the same level right so they got three they got a three point boost for me just in pr regression uh alone so and i'm not sure if that's enough uh, I think I think Stuck's exactly right. I think there's going to be a lot of effort here. Uh, I think Satterfield would be quick to cut people and get them out of the program if they show any of the crap that was going on last year. Uh, so yeah, high effort. Uh, well, that translates to talent on the field and covering games. We will be watching if they are a covering team that the market's going to have a problem catching up to. We'll be on them early, uh, and that and that's the way to play them. I'm not sure going at it from a season long perspective is a way to do it. Yep, completely agree with you. All right, so let's move on to the last team in the ACC, and that's Florida State. Speaking of disasters in 2018, Florida State was uh, a train wreck. First losing season since 1976. Their bowl streak ended at 36 consecutive. They had five losses by three touchdowns or more. Five. Florida State we're talking about. I mean, everything was bad. The special teams was horrible. They fired their special teams coordinator. Their defense was atrocious. They do bring a lot back, but their defense was really bad. Uh, And the worst part of their game of all, was their offensive line. They allowed 36 sacks. They were, you know, look, they have talent at the skill positions. You know, Cam Akers uh, at running back is coming back, although depth is a question. They have talent at wide receiver. And look no further than last year. They were sixth in explosiveness and 121st in success rate. Their offensive line was just terrible. And it's going to make or break their offense as well as the quarterback position. You know, they have James Blackman. Francois is gone. Um, So James Blackman is back. He's had his struggles. If Hornybrook, who transferred in from Wisconsin, then you have two redshirt freshmen and transfers, Wyatt Rector from Western Michigan and uh, the kid from Louisville, who both of them, I don't know, have, have gotten their waivers cleared or if they're going to play this year. So it's, I think it's going to be between Blackman and Hornybrook, probably Blackman to start. Uh, they have a new offensive coordinator in there and Kendall Bryles. They were also really undisciplined, just like Louisville. I mean, Florida State had 9.2 penalties per game. That's worse than FBS. Louisville was third most at eight and a half. Touchdown plus record, they should have six games where they're touchdown more favorite. Win total seven and a half. You make it right at seven and a half. I think it's dead on at seven and a half. You know, they're at UVA at Wake, home against Miami. The, those games are going to go a long way in determining how successful this team is. 
and their win total, as well as that first game against Boise at home. So, you know, I think this win total is spot on. It's a really interesting team. And to see how they bounce back under Willie Taggart, what are your thoughts on the Knolls? Yeah, so I'll be real quick with the defense because Harlan Barnett, is he was a defensive coordinator at uh, Michigan State for a number of years, and he was highly successful there. Uh, I think he had a, a, his scheme. It was the first year of these players last year to be in the scheme. They were top 30 against the run. They were top 50 against the pass, and they were 19th in opponent completion percentage. I expect all of those to continue to rise. It's going to be a stingy, mean defense. Their problem is, is they were 130th in field position. They were last in the nation and where the defense started off in field position. That's not their fault. That's offense the offense and punting. Yeah, that's the offense and punting. The offense is punting from the 10-yard line, the 20-yard line every time. So the defense, you, you could see that if we could just start at the offensive line and work our way through the skill positions, it's going to greatly benefit the defense too. So, they're, I mean, they're just a, a few fixes an efficient play away, I think, from returning to what we think Florida State is. So let's get into it. why I love this team so much. If you haven't been uh, to the Action Network to read the article, you can go in and take a look at Kendall Bryles. I have a nice little graph in there that shows what he has done at programs, what they were before he got there, what they've been after he's left. So Baylor 2015, 2016, what they've been offensively since he left. Florida Atlantic, what they were the year before, and what they were last year uh, offensively, they were nothing compared to what they were in 2017. Houston's 2018 numbers were significantly worse before he got there. So he, he's the offense whisperer. Kendall Bryles is the offense whisperer. He's the coordinator, the, the, the hired hand you want to get to bring in. He's going to find out the way, a way to work with this offensive line, which was 125th in stuff rate. This is Florida State. This is, this is a recruiting national power. And they were 125th in stuff rate. Stuff rate is... Can you get the two yards when you need them in short yard situations? And that, I mean, they're one of the worst in the nation, which is pretty unbelievable for, for a program like them. So I don't know if Kendall Bryles is going to get them on an eating program. I don't know if he's going to get them some dancing lessons to work on their footwork. I'm not sure what's going on, but the offensive line has to improve at that number. You know, he's going to look for a quarterback to bring some efficiency to an offense that was 11th in big plays in 2018. I think that's the biggest thing that surprised me last year is they had an ISO PPP rating that was over 1.3, which put them really high. So they could bust out big plays. They just weren't efficient at all, couldn't move the chains. They've got seven offensive linemen who had starts last year. They bring those guys back if they can put anything together whatsoever. And Hornibrook or James Blackman can have some decent, efficient quarterback play. You're going to see massive improvements on both sides of the ball. So um, I, I like Kendall. I'm putting my faith in Kendall Bryles when I say, this is an over team and this is something you know, they can make some waves. Can they play Clemson? You know, can they beat Clemson? No, absolutely not. It's a joke, but they can make some waves. So yeah. And you're going to have that spot against Miami circled. Um, so that'll wrap up the Atlantic Clemson conference. Uh, let's finish up here with uh, some uh, three and out, which we do during the season. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right, so three quick questions here, including we'll finish up with our favorite win totals. Uh, but ACC Coastal, all three teams about two to one, depending on where you look to win it. Miami, Virginia, Virginia Tech. Who do you got? I'll start. I go Miami, man. I love this defense. They play Vatek at home off a of bye. Uh, I have questions about Virginia's offensive execution. I do love the defense. But given the Miami schedule, I think it's going to be Miami-Clemson in the ACC championship. Uh, I love those linebackers. Uh, so I'm going Miami. You're not, I take it. I'm not. I'm going to go wild card. I'm going to go with Pitt. I'm going to say, uh, wow. you know, like, I, like I said, they, they could get thrashed in the month of September. They could lose that game to Virginia. And then those seven games, they have a great schedule in those seven games. And, and Mark Whipple, at offensive coordinator, should have the offense going with Kenny Pickett. They can already rush the ball, and Mark Whipple is going to increase 
to passing by the time they get to those seven ACC games uh, towards October. Uh, and not to mention, yeah, they lost four offensive linemen, but they're going to have everybody identified and everybody's going to have experience by the time October rolls around. I'm going to roll with Pitt for the Coastal. Shocking. Going with Pitt, I did not uh, see that coming. Depending on where you look, you can get Pitt around 14, 15 to 1 at some places to win the Coastal. But uh, I'm rolling with Miami 2 to 1. I think they get it done with the schedule. And getting Votech at home after a bye is just just a massive advantage. Uh, so Miami and Pitt there. Uh, Heisman Rice will make this quick. Probably won't be betting the Heisman. But if I do or did have to take a shot, you know, I mean, it's just, I mean, Trevor Lawrence and two are about 3 to 1. Maybe I would look at Justin Herbert, and that's the way that I would invest in the ceiling of Oregon. You know, if everything goes right, that offensive line is one of the best in the nation. If the receivers, you know, Jawan Johnson, the Pittman comes in as a stud. If their drop issues are removed from last year, they actually can catch balls this year. And everything works out in the schedule, and they beat Auburn. You know, he is a quarterback, and he will have some hype, especially if they win that Auburn game. So I'll say Herbert around 20-1. to But you're going to roll with Trevor at 3-1? to yeah, so if you guys could go to the Action Network and, and get the Heisman piece out there, there's some great stats and some great uh, graphs in there about backing up the reason why I do like Trevor to win the Heisman over Tua, but I also identify a couple other quarterbacks that are some long-range odds that are possibly worth some value and that should. I mean, they have a great chance to make it to New York, too, so you guys can check out that piece. But just to be short with it, I think Trevor's going to win the Heisman because he's going to get a schedule of Boston College, FCS, NC State, Wake Forest, South Carolina, and then he gets the winner of the Coastal, which he absolutely has the perfect platform scheduling-wise to throw to Justin Ross, to throw to T. Higgins, to throw to Amari Rogers. I mean, it's it's an amazing offense. And, and when you think about the fact that the defense may take actually a couple steps back, I mean, a little bit, a little bit of steps back, that could equal more snaps for Trevor Lawrence. That's what's made the difference for Kyler Murray last year is the number of snaps that he had over Tua. Let's talk about Tua real quick. Tua may only play the first half of games. Tua is already hurt right now. He's got a ripped up hamstring and didn't uh, didn't participate in the Manning Passing Academy. Tua ends his schedule with Mississippi State, Auburn, LSU, and potentially Georgia the week before the ceremony. That is some of the toughest pass defenses for him to go up against, and I think it's going to be his downfall. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, make sure you check out that piece. I'll tweet that out. And let's finish up with our favorite win totals in the ACC. Look, I said it before. I'll start with mine. I think there's a lot of sharp win totals in the ACC, and, and it's just a tough conference to cap because there's you know so many teams outside of Clemson that are so close. So there's a ton of coin flip games that you might as well not lock up your money and wait until the season starts. However, there are a couple that do stick out to me that I might be investing in. So I think Duke, NC State, Virginia, BC, Pitt, Wake, Clemson, Florida State, and Louisville all look about right. Uh, the unders that I would look at UNC and Georgia tech, just with all of the changes and the coordinators and the different systems. Uh, I think there's a lot that can go wrong. Uh, and then Syracuse, I just think they're, it's too high here. And the love from last year is carrying over with that schedule quarterback change. It's just, I don't think everything is going to go as right with Syracuse. So we'll have that special teams that give them an edge, but I think eight's too high for them. And then the overs sounds really square, but I like Virginia Tech and Miami as the only two overlooks in the ACC. Both schedules are very favorable. I think they, you know, just if they win the games, they should. They should get the nine wins um, with chances at upsets. Uh, I think both defenses uh, are going to be good. I think Vatek's defense is going to bounce back. Miami's defense is excellent. Um, and I think we talked about that regression uh, to the mean. I think you're going to see that with Virginia Tech. Uh, I think Miami gets them in Miami and wins that game. Uh, but I, I like actually like both overs with Vatek and Miami getting to nine wins. How about you? Favorite ACC win totals? 
Yeah, I think we're doing uh, the listeners some justice here because we're all we we've got almost every team encompassed here with some sort of total. I'm saying BC under six and a half. There are six and a halfs out there. Shop for it and get it because I think six would be uh, a push. Uh, that's tough sledding for them with the back end of that schedule. Florida State over all the way. Uh, I made a comment uh, in an article about them having playoff odds of seventy five to one. It's not outrageous. That yes, they it can is. Go ten and one. <laughs> I just want to get it on the record. That, yes, they'll lose. With who? Who's, who's going to the playoff? James Blackman or Alex Hornibrook? Listen, a year ago, we were talking about Wisconsin with Alex Hornibrook going to the playoff. We don't talk about that anymore. Yeah, we talk about that. Just hear me out. We could be 10 and 1. In, in, in some sort of bizarro world, Florida State, if they figured out on the offensive line and if Kendall Browse can work his magic, there's no reason they can't take advantage of a very, very weak ACC. Now, they're going to lose the Clemson game. Yeah, but they could be, I'm just saying, they could be 10 and 1 going into the Florida game. If you get extra $10 and you don't get guacamole on your Chipotle, maybe you want to think about that. So anyways, Florida State over their win total, Pitt over their win total, Pitt for the Coastal. And then I'm going to leave everybody with this. I don't think you should buy Clemson ACC Futures. Minus 500, outrageous. Minus 700, outrageous. If you parlay up their expected money lines, which will be anywhere from minus 900 to minus 1,200, maybe even higher with some of the some of the worst teams in the ACC, if you parlay all of their games up within conference, it comes out somewhere around minus 350 to minus 375. So the number out there is outrageous. Don't invest long-term in something that's completely overpriced. Uh, I see no chance in the world that it doesn't win. But, I mean, you just don't want to buy something that is completely has no value and is overpriced. Yep, completely agree with you. I mean, you could get that price in the ACC championship game. Yeah. Six to 700, depending on who they play and how well they've been playing. Um, all right, so there you have it. Colin projecting Florida State to the college football playoff. <laughs> no. Uh, and Pitt. So Florida Florida State or Pitt. So wait, you're going to have Florida, a Florida State Pitt ACC championship? Is that what we're hearing here? Yeah, we're just going to take Seminoles all the way. We'll rewind the clock back to back to the Big 8 ACC Orange Bowl days. There you have it. So Florida State Pitt ACC championship game pr- projection <laughs> hot off the press from Colin. I'm saying I'm going more reasonable route. Clemson over Miami. But thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me, Colin. Uh, and if you haven't already, rate and review. Unsubscribe, subscribe. You know the deal. We'll have a wrap-up episode of all of our favorite win totals for every conference uh, and all of our futures as well. And then, look, it's, we'll be talking week zero. We'll be talking uh, Miami and Florida. Uh, So I can't wait for that. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out.